Well, good morning, folks. I bring you greetings from Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, glad to share this time with you. Um, I want to thank everyone who, who came out yesterday. Um, there, were, there were several who came and, and stayed the whole time, which, I mean, to listen to me for four hours, you know, that, that takes a lot of sacrifice, I think. So <laughs> I'm hearing some amens, right? Um, but we had a wonderful time yesterday, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. I want to just kind of give you a very brief 25-cent uh, recap of yesterday. Um, so we've entitled this workshop, Joining God on Mission. And so just trying to think about um, being, being missionaries and what, what does that mean and how do we do that. We talked, we had four different sessions, and each session I tried to kind of present a theological principle that I think helps us to think through what it means to be missionaries. Uh, the first session, we just talked about how we are sent people and how God calls us to, to be and to think and act like missionaries, that we're not to be like the frog who sits and waits for food to come near and then sit, uh, puts out his tongue and grabs what's close by, but instead we're to be the lizard that goes and seeks out the food and goes and seeks out those that are lost in order to bring them back to Jesus. We're to be sent people. Then number two, we talked about discerning the spirit of God and how God's spirit uh, guides us and, and pushes us in the direction that God wants us to go. And so instead of being like rowboats where we're constantly trying to, to row and, and, and use our activity to, to make progress, instead we're to be like the sailboat that puts up the sail. And that lets God lead us where God wants us to go because he's going to lead us into his mission and where he wants us to be. And then number three, we talked about how the church is kind of like an airport. In an airport, you don't go to the airport to stay. Uh, it's a bad place to stay, believe me. And I told some stories about that. You go to the airport to go to another destination. It connects you to a destination. And the church is kind of like that. The church is not simply the destination of the blessings of God. But instead, the church is to connect the blessings of God with the rest of the world. And so we're to serve the world. We're to be those that die to ourselves so that we can serve those out there. And then last, the fourth session, we talked about fear and how oftentimes we can have certain perceptions of other people or other neighborhoods or other cities or other scenarios going on. And those perceptions can create fear in our heart. And that fear can cause us to forget what God has told us to do. And so we talked about how if we're going to join God in mission, we got to choose faith over fear. We got to be willing to step out in faith to follow where God is leading, um, even if we feel a little bit of fear about that. So that's, that's a 25 cent recap. So if you didn't come yesterday, you know what we talked about. Um, and, uh, and so that, that catches you up to speed. What we're going to do this morning during our Bible class time is, um, and, and uh, where did John go? John, how much time do I have? 10.15. Okay, great. Wonderful. What we're going to do in, in this Bible class hour is, is I'm going to just, I'm, if you can just indulge me for a little bit, I'm just going to share with you a little bit about our church in Fort Worth where I serve in Fort Worth, Texas, Southside Church of Christ. Just going to share with you about our journey in trying to join God on mission. And, and I always am a little bit hesitant about doing this because our church has got a lot of problems, folks. I mean, I don't want you to think that we've got it all together because we do not, okay? Just hear that right now. 
But for the past several years, we've, we have been on this journey, as I would call it, of trying to figure out how can we be, be sent people and how can we start thinking and acting like missionaries. And sometimes it can be helpful just to, to hear someone else's story on how their church is trying to reach out to their community. And, and maybe it can give, give us some imagination about maybe how to do it here. It's not gonna look the same here, okay? And I'll talk more about that at the end. But maybe it can just give us a little imagination. So, I, so that's what I'm gonna do during our Bible class hour. And, and hopefully this will be helpful and encouraging to all of you. I wanna also mention as I begin, this story of our church in Fort Worth, Southside, it really is a story about God. It's not about the elders. It's not about uh, even certain people at the church. It's about God and about how God has worked at our church. And so this whole story is really a story that brings glory to God. And if, and if the church here in Oxford, if Bedview Hills, if you guys, if y'all become a church that is a missionary church, that is serving the community and bringing people to Jesus, it won't be because of you. It'll be because God is working in you and through you. And so I want you to hear that as I begin this story. But as I, as I start, uh, I want to begin by, by using a metaphor to, to introduce um, our church's dilemma. This is a picture of a, an activity called using an A-frame. So our youth group uh, at Southside goes to camp at a, a place called Camp Blue Haven, which is in New Mexico. And a part of being in Camp Blue Haven, they do certain uh, team building activities. And this is one of the team building activities they do. What it is, is they build this, this wooden A-frame and it's connected to these ropes that spread out in kind of a circle. And what the teenagers would do is that one person would hold um, each one of the ropes and then they asked me, since I was the Bible class teacher, to stand up on that A-frame. And so I took, that's not me, by the way, but um, I took my life in my own hands and, and would stand up on that A-frame. And then what the goal is in the activity is for the teenagers to work together by using those ropes to move the A-frame over to a certain direction. And what the facilitator did is he had other teenagers who were sitting down on the ground and they were in the, the boiling hot lava, okay? And so the goal is to move this A-frame over close to one of them so I can touch, touch one of them and rescue them, okay? So that's the goal of the activity. And so it took the teenagers a little while to figure out how to use the ropes to move the A-frame, but eventually they start getting it to where they're able to move it. And slowly I'm on the A-frame and I'm moving and I get close to one of the teenagers and I touch them and I rescue them. Oh, great, very good. And so we're now gonna move to the second one. So we move to the second guy and we get close to him and they work to get the A-frame next to him and I reach down to touch him and you know what he does? He backs away. How dare he do that? Now, the facilitator had told him to do that. But when he backed away, guess what all the teenagers who were doing the ropes did? Why'd you do that? And so they, they moved the A-frame a little bit closer and I reached out to touch him and he backed away again. And all of a sudden, there started to be this debate among the teenagers who were doing the ropes. And half of them said, well, let's leave him. He obviously doesn't want to be rescued because he keeps backing away whenever we get close to him. Oops, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to do that. I just hit the thing. Okay, there we go. 
and uh, let's just leave them. Let's go, let's go find somebody else who wants to be rescued. And then the other half of the teenagers said, no, 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 we can't leave him. He's in the boiling pot of hot lava. We can't leave him to die. We gotta rescue him. And so there started to be this debate back and forth. One group saying, leave him. Let's go on and rescue someone else. He doesn't wanna be rescued. And the other half saying, no, no, we've gotta rescue him. We've gotta stick with him. We've gotta persevere because we want him to be saved. And this went on for about five or 10 minutes. And does anyone wanna guess during that time how many people we rescued? Zero. And so while we were internally bickering, we weren't rescuing anyone. And I think that's a really good metaphor for church. Is a lot of times churches today, we get so internally focused and we start bickering about the, 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 the smallest things. And as we're doing that, nobody's getting rescued. Nobody out there is getting rescued. And, and I use that as a metaphor, not only to describe churches in general, but to describe the church where I work at Southside, because that was a part of our history. We were the people who were internally bickering and focusing on ourselves while nobody was being rescued. And it took God working in us to show us you need to stop bickering among yourselves and stop focusing on yourselves and notice that there are people outside your walls that really need Jesus. Let me just give you a brief history of the church in Fort Worth where I'm at. So Southside Church of Christ um, is actually the oldest church of Christ in Fort Worth. It started in 1892. Um, and actually, its roots even go back farther than that to 1860s. There was a Christian church in Fort Worth, downtown Fort Worth, in the center of Fort Worth, as I talked about yesterday. And uh, they wanted to plant a church on the south side of town. They started Southside Church of Christ in 1892. The Christian church decided to add instruments to their worship and Southside decided to stay a cappella. And that's kind of how that, that split happened. And for the next hundred or so years, Southside has been located in the same neighborhood that it was planted in. Different buildings, but in the generally the same neighborhood. Um, here's just a, a brief timeline. So it started in 1892. They got their first main building in 1916. We're in that building for quite some time until about 1959 when they built the building that currently we worship in. Now, I tell you all of this just to show you that our church was a, is an old church, it's been around a long time. Got a lot of older folks who've been there for a long time. It's a, an established church. That's what I'm want you, wanting you to see. Well, in, 19, in the 1950s, as most churches of Christ, things were going very, very well at Southside. Their membership was around 700 or so in size at the time, so it was a very bustling, big congregation. Because of that, that's why they needed to go ahead and build a new building. And here's a picture of the building um, that they ended up building uh, in 1959. The story goes that the way they raised the money to build this building was that the elders went and personally visited the homes of every single member and said, how much are you gonna give to this building project? Now that's how you raise money, folks, okay? That's how you do it. And they raised about $450,000 in that time period to build this building. It was very ornate for churches of Christ of that time frame. 
Most churches of Christ in the 1950s were pretty plain. This had a beautiful steeple with the cross on top. And you walked inside the front foyer, it had beautiful chandeliers. It was very ornate. The reason why it was ornate is because it matched the neighborhood. The neighborhood surrounding Southside was a very ritzy neighborhood. It was the place where people wanted to live. All the homes had really nice, they were built in the 1900s or 1920s and they were really nice and beautiful. And so this building was built to match that. You know, kind of just an interesting tidbit. My father-in-law was a student at Oklahoma Christian University in Oklahoma in the early 1960s. And he was on the debate team at Oklahoma Christian. And he went to a tournament in Fort Worth at TCU. And while he was at that debate tournament, it was over the Wednesday night time frame. And so he wanted to go to Bible class. And he had heard about the chandeliers at Southside Church of Christ and said, we, let's, go to, let's go there for Wednesday night. We want to look at those chandeliers. We are they're really nice. And so now his son-in-law is the preacher at that church. But um, so, that, so that just tells you what was going on. In the 50s and 60s, Southside was doing very well. Had a lot of very big name preachers around that time. Um, one of the preachers was named Jesse Sewell, who went on to be the president of Abilene Christian College at the time. Um, other preachers who were well known in the DFW area. Well, then something happened. The neighborhood started to change. In the 60s and 70s and 80s, as in most urban big cities, people started moving out to the suburbs. And what happened in the inner city is that you started to have a lot more abandoned homes and uh, apartment buildings and crime and just a lot of violence, a lot of drug addiction, a lot of alcohol addiction. It just became a very unsafe place. And because of that, the church started to decline. And it went from 700 to just on a steady decline over a period of years. And, and even later, it was declined even further as because of something else that I'm going to talk about in a second. And so the church was faced with a dilemma of, okay, what are we supposed to do? We're declining. We're not as big of a church as we used to be. Our neighborhood has changed. What are we to do? And there were three things that I think happened that changed the DNA of our church. Three key events in our history. Number one was that the elders made a decision to stay into the neighborhood. This, this decision was probably in the late 80s or so, late 80s, maybe early 90s, that they made this decision. And the way it was told to me is that in an elders meeting, and I actually heard this story from um, and I was trying to remember this guy's name. He goes around and he teaches a lot about creation and evolution. Do you know who I'm talking about? John Clayton. John Clayton. I heard this story from John Clayton, who happened to be a guest preacher, kind of like me today, guest preacher at Southside. And for some reason, he was like at an elder's gathering. I don't know why he was there, but he was there. And he told me this later. He said, I was at this gathering and people started to discuss this dilemma of should we leave or should we move out to the suburbs? And, and finally, the discussion got so heated that one elder stood up and he said, are we going to follow the great commission and go preach the gospel to the lost or just preach it to ourselves? And that won the day. And the elder said, we're staying. And we're going to learn how to minister to this neighborhood. And we're going to learn how to serve the neighborhood. That was a critical step in our history. It's one that we look back to over and over again, that God has placed us here. We are missionaries because we've chosen to stay in this area, in this neighborhood. Well, after that, 
the church started to, to, to try to do some things to minister to the neighborhood. And one of the first things that we started to do was we started uh, a pantry and clothing ministry. And so we partner with the Tarrant County Food Bank and we provide food for those in our neighborhood. It was just one small step for our church to try to serve and bless our neighborhood. Today, that food pantry ministry serves about 400 families a month that come through our building, receive food, and it becomes an incredible, incredibly good outlet for us to connect with our neighborhood and to connect with people in our neighborhood. Along with that, they can, they can come and get clothes. And they can, if they need clothes, they, we have a clothing ministry where they can receive clothes. Those are just small little things, small little touches where we're just blessing the neighborhood. But it was one attempt one attempt for our church to try to say, hey, we, we've got to learn to serve our neighborhood, and this is one way of doing it. Well, there was a second big event that happened in Southside's history that really defined it, and that was in the early 90s, there was, and let me show you a couple more pictures of our clothing ministry. I forgot I had those. Um, but in the early 90s, there was a church split, like most churches of Christ in the 90s. It was a tense time over worship wars and there was a split in the church and whenever there's a split the issue is never the issue and so if you asked people and I've talked to numbers of people about why there was a split and they said well it was because this group wanted to do a little more in worship and this group wanted to do a little more of this and that and but that really wasn't the issue the issue was that the church was inward focused because when a church is inward focused, as I talked about yesterday, when a church is focused on itself, at some point, there is going to be conflict. Because if everyone's saying, well, I want to do it this way because this is what I like, and I want to do it this way because this is what I like, and what I want to do it this way because this is what I like, eventually there's going to be conflict. And the elders told me when I came to Southside, they said, we learned through that church split, which was incredibly hard and painful, we learned this lesson, that if we get focused on ourselves, bad things are gonna happen. And we've gotta be focused outwardly. We've gotta be focused on the mission of God. Well, that split decimated the church even further to the point where, at one point, Southside had declined from 700 all the way down to about 250 or 300 folks. Lost a lot of folks. Well, then a third thing happened. And this third event was so impactful to our church right after that split in the early 90s. At that time, across the street from our church building was a program by the Salvation Army. It was a drug and alcohol residential program for women and dependent children. They could come and they could live there and they could uh, work through their addiction and their children could be cared for and they could live there up to two years. Well, one Sunday morning in the early 90s, there was a lady named Jane Pearson and she walked across the street from the Salvation Army to our church building to come and worship with us. It was Sunday morning. She wanted to come to church. Hey, there's a church across the street. Why don't I walk over there? And she did. And the, the way the story was told me is that she walked into one of our Bible classes and she took out her pack of cigarettes and she threw it on the table and she said, okay, she pointed to the Bible. She said, my life is messed up and what does that book have to say about how to put my life back together? Now, if you want to liven up a Bible study, that's how to do it, okay? <laughs> Not to liven it up. And, and what happened was 
And if you remember from yesterday, putting up the sails, letting God blow you where he's leading, people started to think and their eyes started to be opened. You know what? There's a lot of women right across the street who need rescue. And we've been in here internally bickering figuring out what we ought to do and ought not to do. And there's a whole lot of women and children right across the street who really need the Lord Jesus. Maybe God's trying to tell us something. And so our church started ministering to those ladies across the street. They started going across the street, mentoring them. They started teaching the Bible across the street. And we started this program that we call our Hope Ministry. We hired this a gentleman named Dan Leaf, who I mentioned yesterday, who was a former foreign missionary to Quito, Ecuador. And at first, this is interesting, the elders hired him to be the youth minister. And then they figured out pretty quickly, okay, he is not cut out to be a youth minister. And then they brought him in. They said, you know what, Dan, you've been a, a foreign missionary in Ecuador. Just be a missionary to our neighborhood. Just lead us in being a missionary to our neighborhood. And so through that, he started this ministry that we call our HOPE ministry. HOPE stands for Heavenly Options for Pain and Emptiness. Because pain and emptiness can trip us up and cause us to get involved in a lot of bad things. And so this is a ministry that ministers to people struggling in addiction. And it started with those ladies across the street and it continues today. And we partner with other addic addiction programs, the Volunteers of America, other halfway houses, and we bring, actually bring them to our church. And they go to a group meeting during the Bible class hour and then they worship with us. And on some Sundays, we'll have upwards of 80 to 90 folks in that, in that program. You want to change your worship assembly, put about 50 recovering addicts in it <laughs> and it'll change. <laughs> and, and we've had to work through that. But we've seen some incredible successes, church. We've had a lot of disappointments, but we've seen incredible successes. One of those was a lady who was in that Salvation Army program way back in the 90s. And she, we started working with her, started ministering with her, started teaching her the Bible. Eventually, she was baptized into Christ. She's had her ups, she's had her downs, but she is still a member of our body at Southside. Her daughter, who was with her in that Salvation Army as a little girl, she's grown up. She's now college age. She went to Harding University, John. That's what God can do. God can rescue people who, whose lives were a mess and he can bring them healing and can bring wholeness to their family. One, one thing that was so beautiful about this lady is a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, she was in my Bible study and there was another lady who, when we were doing prayer requests, she raised her hand and said, you know, I wanna pray for my daughter because my daughter is not doing well. She is struggling with an addiction and she's in an addiction program over in Dallas and I just need help because I don't know what to do as a mother for her. And it was so beautiful because here was this other lady who we had ministered to and who now is stable and she was able to minister to that lady and say, hey, I've been there. I was there. I was in that program. I can tell you what she's going through. I can tell you what she's thinking. I can tell, her, tell you what you need to be doing to help her. And it was so beautiful to see the work of Christ coming full circle to help someone else. 
And so that's been a critical part of our church and it's helped shape the missional DNA of our church as we try to reach out to people with addiction. But then God opened our eyes to other opportunities. And so the Salvation Army closed their program across the street and they moved it somewhere else. And so we thought, well, what are we gonna do? We've been going across the street teaching the Bible to these ladies and the door opened. We got a call from the chaplain's office at Tarrant County Jail and they said, could you come and start teaching the Bible to those in jail? And so we started to do that. And one thing we would do is we would teach a curriculum that would, that would work through the Bible in jail. And then we would give the women a life recovery Bible. And we distribute um, about 1,600 life recovery Bibles. And we always stamp them with Southside Church of Christ. And we say, when you get out of jail, if you need a place to go and you don't know where to go, just, just come to Southside Church of Christ. Here's the address. It's right on the bus line. Come to Southside Church of Christ. And there have been several occasions where there's a knock on the office door. And I, and I said, who's there? I'm, I'm a lady. I just got out of jail and I need help. I need clothes. I, need, I just need help. Well, how'd you know to come here? And they hold up their Bible. I got my Bible when I was in jail. I knew to come here. And we've seen wonderful successes through our jail ministry. And that's continuing still today. And one of those that I'll just briefly tell you about, there was a lady who was in jail because she was a drug dealer. And what's interesting about her is that she did, dealt drugs across the street from our church building. I found out later, didn't know at the time, but found out later. But she was put in jail for that. Put in jail because um, the way the story goes is that she was dealing drugs with a woman, a mother, and the mother got caught by the police and the police arrested her and she saw the child of that mother crying because they were taking their mother away. And this lady, her name's Joanne, Joanne realized I was the cause of that because I dealt drugs with that mother and that's why that child is crying. That broke her heart and she realized she needed to stop but she didn't stop. She eventually got caught and put into jail and while she was in jail, one of the women from Southside started leading a Bible study there and Joanne came to that Bible study. She started studying the Bible. When she got out of jail, she came to Southside immediately and she was baptized into Christ. And, and she told me later, she said, you know, I used to do drugs right across the street, to deal drugs right across the street. And she said, I just realized that I needed to cross over Hemphill Street and come to the church and to have new life in Jesus. She said that the Israelites had to cross over the Jordan. She says, I had to cross over Hemphill Street. I like the way she put that. But her past caught up with her. She was doing well following the Lord, but her past caught up with her. A previous conviction had come back to get her. And so she had to go back to court and she was sentenced to go back to prison. And sometimes that happens when you got previous convictions that catch up with you. Well, when she went back to prison, before she did, she told me, she said, Steve, I want, I want my name in the directory of the church because I'm a member, because I've been baptized and I'm following Jesus and I want my name in the directory and I want you to keep sending me the bulletin and I want you to keep sending me your sermons. And so if you pull out the Southside directory, we have a lady in our directory. We have her picture in the directory and her address is federal prison. Now that's kind of unique, I think. Um, but that's, that's what God does. God rescues people. And here was an opportunity for us to do that through jail. And then God opened our eyes through other ways. 
One Sunday morning, this was about 10 years ago, we had a couple of college students walk into our building from TCU, just trying to find a place to, to go and worship. And, and again, like I mentioned yesterday, the sails started to be blown and eyes started to be open. And we started to think, you know, just two miles away from our building, there's about 8,000 college students who attend the university there. Maybe God is trying to tell us something that here are people who need rescue. And so we started a ministry to college students and, and through that ministry, we've seen a handful of college students come to Christ and be baptized into Christ. Then, we, then we, our eyes were opened to our neighborhood schools. And um, um, I'm gonna have to go a little quicker, I realize. Um, I get telling these stories, I just get so excited, you know? <laughs> but then God opened our eyes to our neighborhood schools. And the way this happened was I got a phone call from the, the assistant principal of a nearby middle school. And he said, hey, we need a place where if we need to evacuate our students that we can go. And could we, could we come to, to Southside Church? Guys, would you use your facility as our evacuation site? I said, yeah, sure. I said, but, but before, before we agree to all that, I want a tour of your school because I want to know more about your school. He said, oh yeah, come on over. So I come over to their school and the assistant principal takes me around and I'm not joking. He takes me around to every single class. He opens the door to each class, interrupts the class. Say, hey guys, guys, stop, stop, stop. This is Steve Clore. He's the minister over here at Southside Church of Christ over here on Hip Hill Street. And, and, and their church is going to be like doing stuff over here a lot. And so y'all need to know who he is. And I'm thinking, wait, I just wanted a tour of the school. I mean, that's all, you know. But this was a school that was so needy that they were hungry for anything. It didn't matter to them if it was a church. They just wanted, they wanted people to bless them. And so we started trying to find ways where we could do that. And we started doing a school supply store where we would invite the families to come over and give them school supplies. We fed the teachers. We hosted events. We just, anything we could do to bless the school. And then I was visiting with the principal and saying, hey, what, what, is, what, what else can we do to bless the school? She said, well, I know about you Church of Christ folks. I said, y'all know how to teach the Bible. And I, that's right, we do. She said, uh, she said well, I know that because y'all do vacation Bible schools and some of my kids have been to your vacation Bible schools and they always learn the Bible a whole lot of those things. And she said, these, these students at our school, they don't know the Bible. They don't know about God. And if they're gonna do well academically, they've gotta get the other parts of their life together. Their emotional, their social, relational, even their spiritual, she said it. And then she said this, and I'll never forget this because it blew me away. She said, so do you think that you guys could like come over here and like do a vacation Bible school? I'm thinking, okay, this is like public school, okay? You can't, you can't do that. And, uh, but she was serious. Now we had to taper it up a little bit and make it more about character and those kinds of things. But we had a weekend at that middle school. We called it a camp. And the students would rotate from event to event where we would do some activity and we would relate it to a Bible principle and we would share and teach the Bible with them. When God opens your eyes to opportunities, if we will step through them, God will show us there are some awesome ways to share good news with people and bring rescue. And we've seen that over and over again. And we've found more and more ways to connect with our neighborhood schools. We have a mentoring program for fourth graders. We read with first graders who struggle with reading. We're just trying to be involved in the neighborhood. 
couple other things that I'm going to have to mention very quickly. Um, we had someone in the neighborhood who came to us and said, hey, there, there's a need for a school, for a, a health clinic for children in our neighborhood because there's not a place where children can go to receive good medical care quickly and efficiently. And JPS, which is our county hospital, they have a program called a school-based health clinic. It's normally placed on a school property where they have a health clinic with like a nurse practitioner or a... Or a a PA, and they can see children very quickly and efficiently so they can get back into school. Well, there wasn't one in our neighborhood, and we had a building we were not using. We used, we used to use it for a preschool, but that preschool wasn't working anymore. And so we went to JPS, and we said, could you put one of those clinics not on a school property, but on church property? And they said, yes. And so every year, about 2,000 children come to our property to our building that we own to receive health care. And now we're trying to find ways to connect with those children and families. And so we were able to sign them up, some of them for our vacation Bible school last summer. Just again, having your eyes open to where God is leading, it brings these opportunities. And then last two that I'm gonna mention. We, we had a, a gentleman in our church who felt a passion for children in our neighborhood, particularly for tutoring and trying to not only tutor them in their academic subjects, but to connect with them as, connect with their, the whole family unit and bless them in some way and teach them about the Lord. And so he came to me and he came to our youth minister. He came to some of the elders said, hey, can, what do you think about this? And we were like, hey, if you're passionate about this, if God's spirit is leading you to do this, go do it. And so he started this ministry, we call it 1014 Tutoring. And every Tuesday night, we have about 30 to 40 children who come to our building. We teach them a Bible study. We spend 45 minutes tutoring them in, their, in whatever academic subject they're struggling, and we feed them supper. And we've seen wonderful things happen through that as children and families from that group have started attending our church. And then finally... One safe place. That one safe place is a, what's called a family justice center. It's a place that helps women who struggle with domestic abuse. And if you are in an abusive situation, you come to one safe place and they have everything that, you, that a woman needs. They have a lawyer. If you need to deal with the law, legal situation, they have a counselor. They have uh, emergency shelter that you can access. They have emergency food and clothes. Everything that someone would need if they're going through an abusive situation. Well, we found out that one safe place, as they were starting, they were going to be right down the street from our church building. So we thought, you know, this might, hey, God's trying to tell us something. Let's try to get involved in what they're doing and try to be a blessing. And, and, and two years ago, about a year and a half ago, the director of One Safe Place sent a letter to our elders. Okay, listen to this. Sent a letter to our elders and said, you guys have been involved with One Safe Place. You've been trying to be a blessing. And we realize that when a woman is going through an abusive situation, not only do they need counseling, not only do they need food and clothes, not only do they need shelter, but they need someone to talk to them about God right? To talk to him about faith. And would you, would you guys put someone at one safe place who would be there simply to just talk to those women about the Lord? I am not joking here, folks. I am not joking. And the elders thought about it for about one minute and said, absolutely, we will do that. And so we have one of our members, her name is Melissa Zentino, who sits 
or her old job is just to sit at one safe place. And if a woman comes in and says, I need to talk to someone about the Lord or about spiritual needs, they come and they talk to her. Isn't that incredible? And we've had at least two ladies who have talked with her or studied the Bible with her who have been baptized into Christ that I know of. When our eyes are open, when we're listening to where God is leading, he can lead us into some incredible, incredible places. Let me just close my remarks by mentioning three things. I'm gonna skip on ahead here. Three lessons that we have learned through this whole journey of trying to be missionaries. Number one, we've learned that we have to choose people over tradition. And Mark 3 is that story where Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath day and, and the Pharisees are upset that he's doing this on the Sabbath day, but Jesus is choosing people over tradition. It's more important to heal and to bless on the Sabbath day, Jesus says, than to let someone stay in their terrible state. And we've had to learn this because when you have a bunch of recovering addicts come to your church, they're not gonna look like the regular church member. They're just not. They're gonna have tattoos. They're gonna have scars from where they shot up and all of those kinds of things. And we've just had to decide we care more about people being here than whether they fit our traditions. And so if they're not dressed appropriately, we want, them to be, we want them to be modest and we'll help them be modest. But if they don't dress exactly the way I do, that's okay because we choose people over tradition. If they don't know how to do the church uh, decorum, we had one gentleman who came to our, our church and I don't know what background he came from, but he came through this reco our recovery program and he would sit on the very front pew He'd sit right here and whenever we were singing a song, it didn't matter if the song was an upbeat or a meditative song right before the Lord's Supper, he would stand up with his arms full out raised and, on, and he was on the front pew. I mean, it, I mean everybody saw him. And, uh, but I never heard a word from anybody in our church complaining about it. You wanna know why? Because they were glad he was there. They knew what he had been through and they were choosing people over tradition. Number two, and I talked about this yesterday, we've had to choose faith over fear. I mean, to have a, a, a program in your own church where you have recovering addicts, that creates fear. We've had things stolen in our, inside our building. I tell people, you know, you lay your purse down in our building, it's not safe. <laughs> we've, we, we, we run vans all over picking up kids and all things, and there's all kinds of liabilities associated with that. That creates fear. But we've just decided as a church, we're gonna try to choose faith over fear. When we were doing the whole clinic thing with JPS, oh, that created fear. What are these providers, what are they going to do when, when, a, when a young lady asks for birth control? What are you gonna do when a young lady's pregnant and she doesn't want that, that child anymore? It just created all kinds of complexities. We had to talk through all that, and we did. But it created some fear. But we said, we're gonna choose faith over fear because this is a way to bless our neighborhood and to bring people to know Jesus. But then number three, as I mentioned also yesterday, we had to choose discernment over planning. None of these ministries that I talked about came about because the elders and the ministers sat back in a room and thought to themselves, okay, how can we reach our neighborhood? That's not how any of those ministries happened. Those ministries happened because we saw God working. 
and God bringing us opportunities and God opening doors and we said, let's step through it. I don't know where this door is gonna lead us, but let's step through it and let's see where it goes and God blessed us. Now, I was talking with a gentleman, an elder up in the church up in Minnesota one time and we were talking about some of the stuff that Southside was doing. He said, okay, well, what, what ministries are, are y'all doing that are reaching people that we could do here? And, and, and when he asked me that question, I kind of cringed because I didn't really know what to tell him. I mean, I could tell him all these ministries, but that doesn't mean it's gonna work there. I, I tell you all these ministries, but I'm not gonna recommend you do any of them here because Oxford, Alabama is very different than Fort Worth, Texas. What I recommend is you spend time in your community with open eyes and open ears praying, God, show me how we can be a blessing to this community and to this neighborhood. And if you do that, if you put up the sails, God's gonna blow you a certain direction. And if you have the courage to step through that door and move in that direction, God will open some incredible doors and people will be rescued, church. It may look very different here than where we are in Fort Worth. The ministry may be very different, but God will use you to bring rescue. But you've got to be willing to follow where God is leading, where God is leading. Let me close my time with this picture. I, use, I mentioned uh, as my text this morning, Matthew 5. And let me just read Matthew 5 to us. And then I'm going to tell one final story. Verse 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I really love this scripture because it matches, I think, who our church is trying to be. We have this steeple that emits blue light out to the neighborhood, and that steeple is kind of our, our brand, if you will. It's, it's, it's what we have on our bulletins. It's on everything we do because it's a reminder that we want to live out this scripture. We want to be a light for the world to see. And the reason why that's so important to us is way back in the 90s, as we were starting our hope ministry, and as we were working with those women across the street, there's a, a story about how one evening we were working on our steeple, and our steeple, the light in the steeple wasn't shining because we were working on it. And when uh, the women went over to do the Bible study across the street of the Salvation Army, the women in the program were saying, hey, what's, what's wrong with the steeple? Is everything okay with the steeple? We have, we're not seeing the light. Like, oh no, yeah, everything's fine. We're just working on it. That's why the light's not shining. And the women said, these women going through recovery, these women whose lives have been a mess, were saying, well, good. Because when we say our prayers at night, we turn towards that steeple and we look to that light because that light gives us hope. It gives us hope. And so that's kind of been who we want to be, a church that is emitting a light that gives people hope. And, and that's my prayer for y'all here at Bedview Hills, that you can become a church that is a light on a stand, that is shining for the neighborhood and community and for the county to see, a light that is giving hope. Let's pray together. God, I pray that this recounting of your work in Fort Worth has brought you glory and honor and praise because it's you that's been at work 
And it's you that's done great things. And it's you that's worked through people to bring rescue. And Lord, I know you're at work here at Bedview Hills. And I know you've got great things planned in the future. And I know there are doors that you're, you're cracking open, cracking, cracking open, and there are hearts that you're softening, and there are, there are gonna be opportunities for, for this church to walk through, to bring rescue, to bring rescue to the lost. I pray that you would open their eyes and that you would blow them where you want them to go, that you'd give them the courage to step out in faith and that you would help them to be a light, a light that brings hope. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.